Hello there and welcome to episode 25 of At Home with Breffney. It's an exciting episode for me because we've actually reached past the thousand download mark. So I want to say huge thanks to you for listening. It really makes me so happy that people are cottoning onto the podcast and I'm getting great feedback on it. So today we're going to talk about bidding and how bidding is effectively like matchmaking, where two people have different needs and hopefully between the two of them they can strike a deal that works for both of them. So as one party in this relationship I want to go through how as a bidder you can make yourself a very attractive proposition and become the bidder who the agent most wants to see successful in buying the property. So to start off with it's worth acknowledging that Every single deal is different. Every property is being sold by someone who's got their own particular needs. And every buyer has their own needs in terms of timing, in terms of appetite for doing work, in terms of priorities. And likewise with the vendor. The vendor comes to this deal with their hopes and their fears and their needs as the buyer does. So in fact, to make the two circles intersect where your needs, your money, your timing, your appetite coincide with the vendor's needs for money, timing, etc. Assurance and confidence and trust. Where those two circles intersect, it's actually quite a small intersection. For any one property, there aren't usually 20 bidders or even 10 bidders. Sometimes there aren't even five bidders. It's usually between one bidder and five bidders trying to make this relationship work with the seller. So assuming everything else is equal and everyone has got roughly the same amount of money to put at this property, well, how are we going to distinguish you as a buyer from all the others? And how are we going to make you the preferred buyer and get you feeling very powerful to the agent? So to start off with, I think it's worth acknowledging that when it comes to buying, let's, because we're talking about buyers today, there can be quite a bit of fear when you find a property that you like. Suddenly you become anxious. Am I going to lose it? Um, how many other people are going to come bidding against me? Oh God, I hope it passes the survey. How much work is going to have to do? So to some extent, it, it's like the early stages of a relationship where you're, you're kind of hoping and you're also fearing at the same point. And it's a point where you may not be your most rational. So it's just no harm to note that the way of perhaps minimizing the role that fear and anxiety play in your uh, business as a bidder and a buyer is to maximize the amount of certainties that you can put into the equation. So let's see, what are all the certainties that you as a buyer can put into this transaction? So the first thing is perhaps to understand you're going to be anxious and you're going to be fearful and you're probably going to become very attached to this property at the expense of logic. Um, so it's worth perhaps noting that you may not be your usual logical self. So having an objective person on standby, someone whose opinion you trust, is no harm. And by an objective person, I mean someone whose opinion you really value. If you have a friend who's a surveyor, fantastic. But if you've got someone else who's made wise property decisions, they're a good person to have as your wingman in the situation if you aren't 
married or if you aren't buying with a partner. So I guess the first thing is acknowledging it's an anxious time and you need to have someone in your corner who is a little bit knowledgeable, who is going to act as a bit of a steady influence on you. So the next thing to know is that as a buyer, and I know you know this, but to really understand this, as a buyer, you are 50% of the transaction. Very often as bidders, we can feel very impotent and powerless because there's this thing that we really want. But actually, you, you are the money in this situation. So you have as much power as the seller. And sometimes you have more, depending on how desperate the seller is to sell. So feel your power. It's not like there's a million people chasing this property. It's probably just you and one or two or three others. So you're you're in a strong position and your ability to walk away from the deal is that's is what makes you so strong. You've got money and you can bring it or you cannot bring it. And that's a strong position to be in. Um, now, another way you can get your confidence more solid is to arrange to have your team in place before you go bidding on a property. So if you're getting really close and you really like a property and you're homing in on it and you think this might be the one, this is the point where you need to make contact with the surveyor and uh, ensure that you have a, a connection with the surveyor, you've a sample of the surveyor's report and you know what to expect in a survey. You know what might make you walk away from this property? Like what are the deal breakers as your surveyor sees them? By knowing that you'll have a little bit more power and um, you'll have a little bit more information and you're going to feel a bit more powerful when it comes to the house. Because in general, most people think, gosh, I don't know anything about property. I, I don't know if this is going to be a good house or not. Well, this is the time for you to make a connection with your surveyor so that you can ask him, it's usually a him in this case, what am I looking out for? What in your experience are deal breakers? And talk to your surveyor before you get into the bidding so that you're going to look at that house with good, clear eyes. The surveyor is going to tell you something like it's extensions, it's attic conversions, it's roofs, it's dry rot. These are things that make people walk away. But have a conversation with your surveyor before you get into the bidding, just so that you yourself feel more confident about what you're talking about. Also, I suggest that you make contact with your solicitor. You agree a fee with your solicitor so that when you're bidding and let's say your bid is accepted, you're not wildly casting around for a solicitor at that point where you really need one and you don't have the time to shop around and find out, is this a solicitor you like? This is your time to make contact with your solicitor and check that you like her, that you like um, dealing with her, that you've agreed a price um, and ask her, what might be a thing that would make me walk away from this property? So that before you even get into the bidding, you've a good understanding of what are the legal issues ahead of me? What are the survey issues ahead of me? And that in turn is going to make you feel a little bit more confident. And the more confident you feel, the less fearful you feel. And the less fearful you feel, the more logic and cool headedness you're going to bring to the deal. So then let's assume you've seen your property and you like it. And um, there's now you are officially a suitor. You want this relationship to work. So how are you going to figure out if it's the right one for you? There's some information that the estate agent has that you would be wise to ask them at this point in the proceedings, e.g. what is the vendor situation? So 
Properties come on the market for different reasons, but there's always a story and a motivation behind the sale. So let's just look at some of the likely motivations behind a sale. So for starters, it might be an executor sale. Well, in my view, if I were you wanting to buy this property and it's an executor sale, I'd be delighted because it means the property is likely to get sold. Usually when it's an executor sale, there are some hap well, some sad and bereaved family members, but they are going to get a bonus payment. Probably they're going to get an, a payout from the sale of this property, which means in my experience that they are simply motivated to sell. They don't usually hang around for a big, long bidding process. They and they don't have a fixed sum in their head that they will only sell at. They're usually happy to let the deal, let the sale run its course and in timely fashion, wrap it up, take what's being offered and distribute it. They don't have any fixed fee in their head usually that they'll accept, nor are they possibly, nor are they usually dealing with some big borrowing that they have on the property that they need to somehow reconcile at the end of the transaction. So executor sales, in my experience, are usually good, clean vendors to buy from. Then you have marriage breakups. These can usually be quite clean too because there is a motivation on both parties to sell. But you want to check with the agent that both parties are clear as to what the bottom line is. You don't want to have a situation where one party won't accept what's being offered because they don't agree it's a suitable price. So that's something to ask an agent if it's a marriage breakup. Um, then if you're buying from someone who's trading up Usually they're trading up, so they're gearing up. They're going to be borrowing more. Their financial load that they're about to bear, uh, to uh, shoulder is going to be heavier. So in this case, these are usually wanting every last penny out of the sale of their property. And understandably, because they're going to be um, exposing themselves to a higher uh, amount of debt in most cases, because they're taking on a bigger property. So in my experience, when people are trading up, they are looking for the absolute max they can get from this property. And they may be prepared to let the bidding process last longer than another vendor might because they want to make sure they get every last euro out of it. Then you might be buying from people who are trading down. And if people are trading down, the chances are um, they may be a little bit older. And sometimes it can happen that if people are a bit older, um, they're less inclined to actually go through and sell their house if they haven't found something they want to move to instead. So a question to ask the agent there is, are the vendors prepared to go ahead and go through with this sale, even if they haven't found something they want to buy themselves? As in, are they prepared to go ahead and move out of their home, move into rented accommodation, and then continue their search from there? And in my experience, sometimes older people are not willing. And when I was selling property, I found um, on occasion, not often, but occasionally, vendors pulled out of a transaction, leaving very, very sad buyers because the vendors themselves had not found somewhere that they wanted to go and move to. So they should have used a buyer's agent when I think about it. So you want to ask the agent for that kind of information. Who are you buying from? Then the agent's also going to give you some information in terms of the price. E.g., if you go to look at a property and let's say it's on the market for 695,000, if it's been on the market for longer than five weeks, 
the chances are it's overpriced or, or that is to say if it's, if it's been on the market for longer than five weeks without any bidding on it the chances are that it's overpriced because the pattern in today's market is that usually if a property is reasonably priced there will be a bid on it between four to five weeks of it going on sale and obviously as supply increases in the Dublin area the length of time it's taking to go sale agreed is slightly longer which is why I'm saying five weeks rather than the usual four weeks which is what I would have said at the start of last year so the length of time a property has been on the market without a bid is a good indication of whether it's overpriced um, so if it is on the market without a bid for over five weeks, then I would not suggest you go in and offer the asking price. I would certainly be going in under the asking price. But it's also worth asking the agent at this point, what is the vendor's position? Um, not every agent will tell you and not every agent is clear on this. But sometimes the vendor has a number in their head which will trigger the possibility of a sale. For example, if a vendor, if the property is for sale for 695,000 and the vendor owes 680,000 on it, um, that might be enough then to offer them 680 to allow them to go ahead, clear that debt and move on with their next project. So ask the agent, has the vendor any idea in mind? But obviously there's a time and a place for that. You don't go in the door of a property without ever having set foot or looked around it and asked the agent this question. This is the kind of question that you would ask once you've viewed the property, once you've expressed an interest in it, perhaps you've been back for a second time with a partner or with someone else. And that's the point at which you can start sussing the agent out because you'll have got a little bit of a relationship going with them then. Um, the next thing it's worth checking with the agent before you go in with a bid is just to ask them um, two key questions. One is, are the boundaries of the property uh, that we can see with our very eyes, are they the boundaries that exist on the map? The reason I say that is because um, in some cases where you have properties backing onto a public thoroughfare like the Stilorgan Road or the canal or something like that, you have extremely big gardens and the gardens are not necessarily owned in full by the house owners. They can be owned in part by the council and the homeowners have been allowed to slowly encroach on that land and make it their own but in the title it won't show up as coming with the property so that is worth if the garden is particularly big it's worth asking the agent are the boundaries as seen or are they different so um, the next thing we're talking about to ask the agent is flooding. You want to ask the agent if there's any history of flooding in the area. Um, and obviously, if you're looking at houses um, around rivers and near the sea, that's a key question to ask. And if the agent doesn't know and you're kind of thinking there might be flooding, you can phone up an insurance company and ask them for a quote to insure the property. You don't have to say you own it. You just need to ask them, will they insure it for flood insurance? And that will tell you whether or not they will or won't. Um, so that's a useful thing to know. So let's say you've established whether the property is overpriced by virtue of how long it's been on the market with or without a bid. However, let's assume now that there is a bid on it. You want to uh, ask the agent, when was that bid made? Because sometimes people can make a bid on a property, walk away from it and go ahead and buy a different property. And the agent wouldn't be lying to tell you that there was a bid on the property, 
But the question to ask is, when was that bid made? So that you know whether it's a current bid or not. And why do you want to know that? Because if it's a current, if it's not a current bid, then you don't even have to match it or exceed it. You can start with whatever bid you like if that bid has, is no longer on the table. So assuming you're in the bidding and there's someone else bidding against you, key things you want to do as a bidder is be really organized and be really keen but don't be emotional. So let's say you go to view a property on a Saturday and you really like it, it meets your needs, it seems to be within budget. Well, I advise you to make a bid on it sooner rather than later because that seems logical to the agent. Remember, a deal needs energy. And if you go to see a property and then maybe three weeks later come back with a bid, that doesn't necessarily feel right to the agent. They'll be thinking, well, why did it take you so long? That's odd that you've only made a bid now. Maybe it's a second preference. Maybe you're not so keen. Remember, this is a relationship and you want to be show them that you're keen and you're committed. So I would make a bid early. It doesn't have to be a big bid, but I would make a bid. Um, then I would convey that bid in writing. And when you're conveying that bid, I would put in writing that you have your surveyor and your solicitor lined up and ready to go should your bid be successful. I would also ask the agent for feedback by a certain time. Now that's different to putting a deadline on your bid, which is kind of playing a card you don't want to play, but it's reasonable to ask an agent for feedback. So let's say you bid on a Monday, it's reasonable to ask the agent for feedback by say Thursday of that week. And that just means I'd like to know what your vendor, what response your vendor has made to that um, offer. Um, so also what you want to know is who are you bidding against? Because uh, if you're a cash buyer and you're bidding against people who are borrowing to buy, your bid is going to be stronger than the person who's borrowing because you don't have to go through all the hoops of getting a bank loan and getting the bank valuer out. So your bid is stronger, which means you don't necessarily have to increase it um, at all or buy as much as someone who's borrowing to buy would have to. And then finally, I just want to talk about the idea of bidding against yourself. This is a kind of a, a funny one because let's say you're bidding on a property. It's asking 695. There's nobody else bidding on it, but you've got 695. You've done your research and it seems like it's worth 695. But you think, well, God, there's nobody else bidding. So you offer, let's say, 640 and the vendor says, no, I'm not taking 640, but I will take 695. And you might think, well, why would I do that? I'm bidding against myself, aren't I? There's no one bidding back against me. So why would I jump up to 695 because the vendors asked me to? Well, here's the reason. This is a deal you're trying to strike with the vendor. The vendor may not actually sell if he doesn't get 695. So you need to be prepared to lose that property for, you need to be prepared that the vendor may not actually do a deal with you. Even if there's no one else offering him any more than 640, they may not be in a position to sell and they may not be prepared to sell. So remember, it's not just all about you in relation to other bidders. The key relationship you're thinking of is you in relation to the vendor. And does this vendor want to do a deal? And what is the vendor's level? At least if you know it, you can decide if you want to pay it. But there's no point uh, saying, well, I'm not bidding that because there's nobody bidding against me. Remember, your objective is to get this property at a price that the seller is going to sell it to you at. 
And this is assuming it's a property that you like, that suits you and your needs and that you can afford. Um, so that's the bidding against yourself concept. And one, the final thing I want to talk about is becoming an expert in your property values, because you're going to be a much more confident bidder if you feel like you have a really good grasp on the value of the property that you're bidding on. So how do you do that? Well, I want to share a story with you about my very early scary days when I was working in DNG and I had just been plonked at my desk and I was now technically the person who knew everything about um, values of property in Sandyford in Dublin 18 and I hadn't a clue. So there I am sitting at my desk and I, I really don't know my values and from head office comes a call from one of our directors who's on the money, she's working with a developer, she wants to know if this developer develops two bed, two bath, 70 square meter apartments in Sandyford, what is the developer likely to get for it? And she wants me to tell her my professional opinion as to the value and the, the market value of a two bed, two bath in Sandyford. And I'm thinking, oh my God, I haven't a clue what the values are. But while I'm on the phone, I go into my home and this is what I'm suggesting that you do with the property that you're looking at. But I'll just tell you how it worked for me. I go into my home, I click on Dublin 18, I click on Sandyford and I don't also click on Leopardstown and Cabin Teeley and everywhere else around it. I just click on Sandyford because I'm just being asked about Sandyford because I want to become an expert in Sandyford and Sandyford alone. So I click on Sandyford only. I click on two beds minimum, two beds maximum, so that I don't end up with a search that gives me prices of one beds and five bedroom detached houses. I click on minimum and maximum two bedrooms. I click on minimum and maximum two bathrooms. And I click on minimum 70 square meters to maximum say seven to 80 square meters. So that I've got that range there. And then I click apply search and I see what the how, what the values are in Sandyford. So that means I now have straight away got a sense that the pr price range is between 325,000 to 385,000 for a two bed, two bath, 70 square meter in Sandyford. And I can tell my director this and I can breathe out. So what I'm saying to you is that if you're looking at, for example, a three bed semi-detached in Lucan in a certain estate, well then go into your my home and click on the search that limits everything to exactly mimic the property, the features of the property that you're looking at. So if it's got three bedrooms and two bathrooms, make that a minimum and maximum search. And if it's asking, say, 430,000, well then cap your search at 500,000 so that you can see straight away what the values are for this uh, particular estate and this particular village in Lucan that you're interested in. So that's one way of becoming expert and it's going to make you feel more confident when you go to place your bid. Another tool you can use is go onto My Home and look at the map and click the sold button and that'll tell you what has sold in the area that you're looking at and it'll give you a little picture of the property and the price and when it was sold and that will help you become more expert. So. These are, and obviously the property price register, which has kept a register of every property that has sold in Ireland since 2011, that's going to be useful too. So these are ways that you can make yourself a really confident buyer 
and a confident bidder. And by keeping things in writing, by keeping in touch with the estate agent, by asking them for regular feedback, by having um, your team lined up, your surveyor and your valuer. And also I should mention, you should have proof of funds lined up, which is uh, a proof that you've cash in the bank or a, your mortgage loan offer. Uh, you have to have that to, ready to show the agent too, to show that you actually have the funds in place to fund this property. So if you have all of those things, you're going to be proceeding with a lot more confidence and less fear. And let's hope you go on to consummate the relationship and actually be the preferred buyer and be the person that is the buyer of the property. So I hope you found these concept thoughts around the bidding process useful and if you'd like help in buying a property pick up the phone and give me a ring 087 2574 573. Thank you very much for listening.